And with many other words did he testify and exhort, uh, saying, Save yourselves uh, from this untoward generation. Uh, then they that gladly received his word uh, were baptized, uh, and the same day they were added uh, unto them uh, about 3,000 uh, souls. Uh, and they continued uh, steadfastly uh, in the apostles' doctrine uh, and fellowship uh, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Uh, and fear came upon every soul, uh, and many wonders uh, and signs were done by the apostles. Uh, and all that believed were together uh, and had all things coming uh, and sold all their possessions uh, and goods. Uh, and poured them to all men as every man had need and they continuing daily in one accord in the temple breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God praising God praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Oh, let's worship the Lord this morning. Hallelujah. Again with us, Brother Ben Weeks. He hails from Lake Park, Georgia. He was with us a few years ago. Many of you were here. You remember what a tremendous service that we had that morning that he preached. And a very, very great anointing and a very, very wonderful word from the Lord that we received. We're very happy that he has uh, come back to West Coast Conference. And we want him to come this morning and deliver to us what's on his heart. I believe you're hungry for the word. And I believe we ought to preach with the preacher with all of our heart. Brother Weeks, so happy you're here. God bless you. Oh, let's give the Lord another hand clap of praise today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Bless your name, Savior. Oh, hallelujah to God. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank God, thank God, thank God, thank God. Isn't it wonderful to be in the house of the Lord today? I feel a hunger in this place already this morning. I believe there's some folks came to have church today. Some folks came to receive something from the Lord today. Hallelujah. If you came for a fashion show, you're in the wrong house. Amen. If you came to be impressed or too impressed, you're in the wrong building. Hallelujah. Amen, and I believe the Lord is here to meet with us. Such an honor to be here this year and be asked to stand in this pulpit once again. Certainly do not feel qualified to be a part of such a great meeting. So many great, great men. And uh, certainly... We're looking forward to the word of the Lord that we're going to hear. Appreciate so much the preaching we heard last night. I want to love this truth. I want to love this truth. I want to earnestly contend for the truth. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Brother Alviar, for preaching to us. 
last night. Hebrews chapter number 13, Hebrews the 13th chapter is where we will begin. I also want to read a passage of scripture from 2 Kings chapter number 13, Hebrews 13 is where we start. I'm so glad to have my very best friend in the world with me today, and that is my wife. So glad she is here. I love her very, very much. Appreciate her uh, love and her support. Uh, she was up early, early praying for me. I don't know whether that's a compliment or I need to worry about that, one or the other. But uh, I appreciate her, my little girl Abigail, being here. Praise the Lord. Now, I went through a lot to get here. Traveled somewhere around 16 hours straight. Got up at 3 o'clock in the morning yesterday be here and be a part of this meeting. So I did not come to give you a 10-minute sermonette. I didn't come just, just to share a little something and, and sit down, and I, I don't say that I have something great today, but I hope you will help me preach for just a few minutes this morning. Praise the Lord. And uh, heard about a man that... that uh, went to visit his uncle who was in an institution and had been having some problems and when he got there they were putting them through some tests. There were three individuals taking the test. They said you can come on in and, and observe and so they asked the first individual said what's five and five? He thought a minute and he said uh, uh, 157 and they said no, no, we'll have to increase your medication so they went to the next guy I said what's five and five he said uh, Thursday so we definitely need to increase your medication finally came to the man's uncle said what's five and five he said ten and they were taken aback he came up with the, the answer so quick and they said how did you come up with the correct answer so fast he said oh it was easy I just subtracted Thursday from 157 and there it was so you don't have to connect any dots or take a logic class to understand my preaching. Hallelujah. And so I hope that you will help me for just a few moments today. Hebrews chapter number 13. I want to say how much I honor and respect Brother Morton and appreciate him and, and to honor his ministry. He's a great man of God. I appreciate it. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy. Everybody say joy, and not with grief. Everybody say grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Second Kings chapter number 13, Second Kings chapter 13 and verse 14. Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows, and he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. And Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. 
And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for thou shalt smite the Syrians in effect till thou hast, till thou have consumed them. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them and he said unto the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. Verse 19, and the man of God was wroth with him and said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times, then hadst thou smitten Syria till thou hadst consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. Verse 19 says, And the man of God was wroth. Hebrews 13, 17, it says, To obey them that have the rule over you, they must give an account. And there's only one of two ways that your pastor will give an account for you, either with joy or with grief. And so I want to preach for a few minutes today on the emotions of your pastor. Well, that's what I thought. I want to preach on the emotions of your pastor. I don't know how you feel today, but I want to be a joy to pastor. I didn't come to preach to preachers today. I came to preach to good saints. And I came to preach to folks that ought to be good saints. You ought to want to be a joy to pastor. Don't want to be a grief to pastor. I want to be a joy to pastor. I want my pastor to feel joy when he presents me before the throne of God. Hallelujah. Let's let that be our prayer right now. Jesus, we need you. Savior, we love you. God, we honor you. It's so good to be in your presence to feel your touch in this place. Lord, I pray that you strengthen every man of God, every pastor's wife. Lord, every pastor's child today, those that are in the midst of the battle, those that are under attack, I pray, God, that you give them strength. I pray that the Holy Ghost would help each one. I pray that you'd put a resolve in the heart of every saint. God, I want to be saved. I want to be obedient. I want to be submissive. I want to be the best I possibly can be. Lord, put the right attitude, the right spirit, the right motives in me. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Come on, let's love him. Let's love him. I feel his touch today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord bless you. You may be seated in Jesus' name. We're so blessed today to have so much great preaching available to us in this hour. I thank God for our preaching conferences. I thank God for coming to a, a, a conference setting such as this, and we can be stirred, and we can be uplifted, and we can be reminded of the things that are important, and we can be challenged by the very capable ministers. I love preaching. Anybody love preaching? Hallelujah. I appreciate and I admire men who have applied themselves to study and to explain and to articulate doctrine and the principles of Scripture with clarity. I appreciate men of anointing and men of conviction who can evoke the right emotion and call for a much needed response out of us and that make a lasting impression 
I thank God for preaching. I thank God for men who are sensitive to the Spirit and have understanding of the times and know the needs of the hour and have the holy boldness to speak to us what the Spirit has to say to the church. Men who know what it is to hear the voice of God. Men who can set the pace. Men who can set the direction for uh, an entire fellowship, if you will, with one powerful message. Oh, I thank God for Holy Ghost anointed preaching. Amen. We live in the age of the cassette tape and, and now the compact disc. And you, you, you can enjoy good preaching in your living room. And you can enjoy good preaching as you go about your daily chores. And you can enjoy good preaching as you uh, ride in your automobile. And I'm going to tell you, preaching has never been better, I believe, than it is today. Well, hallelujah. Preaching has never been... I, I, I am uh, just amazed and thankful for the tremendous preaching that we are hearing. I'm talking about anointed preaching, godly preaching, holiness preaching, separated from the world preaching. Amen. And I thank God that there is a receptivity to preaching. Preaching has never been more popular than it is today. Amen. Much of the reason that you got up and you came to church today is so where you can hear the Word of God preached to you and the bread of life could be broken to feed you. Amen. And, and, and I'm telling you, I, I'm thankful that the church of 2002 loves good preaching. We like anointed preaching. We like Holy Ghost preaching. Amen. We like stirring preaching. We like well-prepared preaching. We like conference preaching. We like conviction preaching. We like camp meeting preaching. I love good preaching. Amen. And I thank God for our preachers. I think we have some of the best evangelists that we've ever had on the field today. Men of burden, men that have a desire to bless a church, and men that have a desire to see people saved and to have real apostolic revival. We have heard in the last few years some of the best revelational preaching, some of the best one God preaching, some of the best doctrinal preaching, some of the best repentance preaching, some of the best soul searching preaching, some of the best Bible teaching that we have ever heard. I thank God for apostolic preaching. But I th thank God for all of them. But can I tell you today that none of them are as important to you uh, being saved as your pastor. It's not going to save you to be a part of a conference preacher's fan club. You're not going to be saved just flitting around from camp meeting to camp meeting and special service to special service here in conference preacher after conference preacher that can wow the crowd and sway your emotions. Oh, no. Hallelujah. It is so easy to idealize some homiletical hero that you really don't know anything about and completely miss the blessing of the availability of a faithful man of God called your pastor. 
Oh, you can be so impressed with that fiery evangelist, and I thank God for him. You can be so impressed with how enthusiastic and red in the face they can get and how much power they seem to have. And they were with you for three weeks, and it was like heaven on earth. But you can take for granted the one that will get up in the middle of the night and come to your hospital bed and pray for you and lay hands on that sick baby and stay up all hours of the night with a burden for your lost children. Oh, I hope you'll help me preach today. The one that stood by the bedside of your dying mother. The one that preached the funeral of your father. The one that was there when you needed somebody to pour out all of your heart to. It wasn't, thank God for our evangelists. But they're gone and they're preaching somewhere else. But there's a pastor who will be there. There's a pastor who will love you. There's a pastor who will wrap his arms around you and comfort you in your mourning. Amen, amen. Go to a meeting and leave and say, Oh, I've never heard. I didn't know that was in the Bible. I have never heard anything like that in my life. And you go home. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And you hear that familiar voice again. And it's easy to just... I know this ain't conference preaching, but this... It's easy to reach up and turn the hearing aid off. It's easy to reach for a baby to, to giggle and tickle and carry out to the nursery. And it's, it's easy to balance your checkbook because, after all, it's just pastor. Woo. Oh, Lord, have, mer have mercy, Jesus. It's so easy that his voice could become so common. Oh, you know what? If we're not careful, our churches will become so sensationalized. Now, Brother Alviar stomped all over my message last night. Amen. Thankfully, I prayed him off of it and he kept on going. But, but he stomped all over it and I just took that as a confirmation that this is what the Lord wanted me to deliver today. If we are not careful, our churches will become so sensationalized. And it's got to be, oh Lord, it's got to be a drama or a singing group or one of these woo, 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 I can call your social security number out of thin air or I can uncover all of your hidden dark secrets and Or it's got to be the main line speaker for all of our conferences and camp meetings. Whoo, hallelujah. And if we're not careful, if it's not sensational. And brother, I don't care. And I thank God for men that's used of God. I believe in the operation of the Spirit. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But it doesn't matter what they can call out and who they can, what they can tell you about your background and what's going on in your life. I'm going to tell you, it don't matter if, they, oh, they're a prophet. And you know what? Sometimes they, they come in and, 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 and while, you know, the, the visiting speaker that, that might 
put his hand on something and, and you're out there and people's out there. Ooh, 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 Lord, ooh, ooh, ooh. And it's so spiritual. Oh, y'all know, you know what I'm talking about. But when your pastor gets up, Go tell Sally to take this note to Jane and let me catch up on my checkbook and catch up on my Bible reading. And you're looking around and bored and just looking at your watch and can't wait till service lets out. I'm going to tell you, it don't matter who the special speaker is or what kind of, of great man of God comes by. Your pastor is going to have a whole lot more to do with you being saved than somebody that can call you out and tell you all about your grandpa and grandma and what happened in 1932. I'm going to tell you, it's going to be your pastor, amen, that's going to have a whole lot more to do with you making it to glory. And thank God for anybody, amen, that's used as a prophet. But I'm telling you, if you get all spooked out when somebody that's used in the gifts of the Spirit comes by and roll your eyes and look toward the door while your pastor's preaching, amen, you don't have the fear of God. You have the fear of man. And it'll leave as soon as the, as the visiting speaker's plane leaves the ground. You'll go back to being the same old Joe and the same old Sally. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, well, that's just pastor. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. You ought to compliment your pastor. Some of you, it's been so long since you just made it a point to go shake the pastor's hand and tell him you appreciate him and you're thankful that he's preaching the truth and that he loves you and your family and that he's feeding you on a weekly basis and all of the sacrifices that he is making daily so that there'll be a church for you to be a part of and so that there will be salvation for you and your family. Oh, oh, it's so easy. It's so easy to take the good man of God that we have for granted. And, and we're moving into several different generations of Pentecost now. And, and there are people that have been in for a while. And they have lived through several pastors. And it's so easy to look back there when old brother so-and-so was the pastor. And say, so, oh, if it was just like them good old days. Oh, when brother so-and-so was a pastor here, man, we really had church. They ran the pews and they... Uh... Oh, Lord, I'm losing. Oh, but you better be thankful for the pastor you have today. Maybe he's not a Bible teacher like the pastor you had. Maybe he's not as fiery as the pastor you had. Or maybe he's a lot more fiery than the one you used to have. But you better thank God for the man of God that stands in your pulpit now. 
Oh, hallelujah. You say, well, it's... I'm not talking about compromise and throwing away the doctrine. You understand that. Throwing away apostolic standards. I'm just talking about differences in administration and, and differences in age and all of these things. You ought to be behind him. You ought to support him. You ought to be thankful for the man of God you've got today. Amen. Second Chronicles chapter number 26 uh, speaks of a man by the name, or a king by the name of Uzziah. A man of great accomplishments, a man that, that the Bible says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And he sought God all the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And it gives a list of accomplishments that Uzziah made. He built towers in Jerusalem. He digged many wells. He had much cattle. He had a host of fighting men. He was known for his weapons and engines of, of war that would shoot arrows and great stones. And his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But notice about Uzziah. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. And Uzziah went into the temple to burn incense on the altar of incense. And it doesn't stop there. A man by the name, or a priest by the name of Azariah, withstood Uzziah. And he said, It appertaineth not to thee, but to the priest to burn incense on this altar. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed Uzziah. And it made Uzziah so angry. And the Bible said when he was wroth, that leprosy rose up in his forehead. You know, it's kind of amazing that Uzziah was a man that he was obedient and he loved God and he sought God as long as Zechariah the prophet was around. He was obedient in the days of Zechariah the prophet, but he refused to be corrected by Azariah the priest. Let me tell you, all of you who are looking back there to the good old days when brother so-and-so used to do thus and such, and it just ain't like it used to be. Can I tell you, it never will be like it used to be. Why don't you focus on making these the good old days? Make this the kind of church it needs to be. You can romanticize yesterday until, uh, until you get to the degree that nobody can touch you and nothing can satisfy you and nothing will move you and nothing is good enough anymore. Oh, praise the Lord. It's so easy. It's so easy when, when things are going pretty good to think, man, it's, it wasn't near this good back, back, way back then. But it's also easy when things are going bad to get to looking back there and say, oh, we never had no trouble like this. We didn't ever have no problems like this in the church. I wonder what's, what's wrong. This pastor is not going to be just like that pastor. God uses diversity. Joshua and Moses were two completely different men. Both were called of God. Both were anointed. Oh, I hope I'm not boring you today. Both had a particular mission to fulfill. Moses' calling was to lead the people out of Egypt. 
Joshua's calling was to lead them into Canaan. And it took two different kinds of men for two different times. But they both had the same God with them. And they both had the same anointing. Moses was a meek man. Joshua was warlike. When somebody talked about Moses, he'd get down, bury his face in the dust, and, and cry and pray. But brother, when Joshua faced any opposition, I, he didn't care if it was an angel. He was ready to fight. He was warlike. But God used him just like he used Moses. Moses would intercede for the whole camp when they had sinned. But Joshua, when one man sinned, when God said, get him, he got him and his family. But God told Joshua, as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. If he's preaching the truth, get behind him. If he's a young man, oh, he's got a lot to learn, but get behind him. If he's getting on up in years and he's not as fiery and as zealous as he used to be, get behind him. If he doesn't preach like the man you heard at conference, get behind him. It may amaze you what kind of inspiration he would get if somebody, a man would be loyal. Somebody would be committed to their pastor's ministry. Woo, hallelujah. Zechariah the prophet kept old Uzziah straight. But when Azariah the priest got there, he didn't want to listen to him. Woo, hallelujah. Amen. If the only thing you respond to is somebody, you hear me, I believe in it, but you hear me today. If the only thing you respond to is thus saith the Lord in this service, and all of a sudden you get spiritual, or somebody saw a vision... And there was angels in that corner, and there was demons in that corner, and they was heading toward one another at 500 miles an hour. And the only thing that, that really gets you spiritual is there's the threat somebody's going to call you out. You are shallow. You are immature. You are childish in your walk with God. Oh, I know this ain't conference preaching, but just let me preach my heart today. You ought to get just as excited and just as enthused at midweek Bible study as you do in the middle of a three-week revival. You ought to be just as on fire for God on a Sunday morning service as you are a man when there's somebody that's, that's got a big name in Pentecost. Hey, God, deliver us from this mentality. Help us to love the ministry and most of all to appreciate the man that's there at midweek Bible study on sleepy-eyed Sunday mornings and stirring us up to worship on Sunday night. God, help us to appreciate our pastor. Hallelujah. After the good evangelist has had you swinging from the chandeliers, it's the pastor that has to get you back in the unappreciated routine of sleepy Sunday mornings and try to get you stirred up to have revival on Sunday night. search and pray and cry and fast for God to give him something for the midweek Bible study. Oh, praise God. 
Oh, if I get out of line, these preachers will straighten me out. But, but if that guest minister comes and he makes a total mess of things and he gets his check and he's gone, it's the pastor that's left to fight the battle sometimes another man created. If, if the good evangelist has had us on fire and we shout at every service and then there's just pastor up there. Oh, I was so disappointed when the evangelist trailer pulled out. I just felt like revival was leaving with him. <laughs> Y'all pray that God will help our church. Ooh, hallelujah. I hope today I can get you to appreciate your pastor more. Because if you can appreciate your pastor more, you'll listen when he teaches. You'll love him when he corrects your children or you. You'll appreciate it when he sets the standard. You'll be thankful that he's preaching the truth. Woo, hallelujah. You ought to thank God you've got a pastor. You ought to thank God you've got a pastor that loves the truth and loves people. That's sensitive to God. Amen. Sensitive to the needs of souls. Story of Elijah and Elisha is a beautiful type of Christ and the church. Elijah promised Elisha a double portion. Amen. For his ministry. Uh, Jesus told the church, greater works than these shall you do. Elijah was called up miraculously while his followers stared. Amen. Jesus was called up in the, in the clouds while his disciples stared. Uh, Elijah continued what Elijah began. And so it was the church went back to Jerusalem to continue the message and the ministry that Jesus began. You can see in the life of Elisha illustrations of the role of the man of God and the people of God or the church. You can find in the miracles of Elisha, you can find attitudes that should be in the church today, especially toward the man of God. Elisha, the very first miracle you find, he gathered up the mantle that Elijah had left him and he went and he smote the waters of Jordan and he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And you know how that the waters parted and the miracles began for his ministry. And I'm telling you, an effective church, an effective ministry, an effective man of God is still the one who's not seeking after the miracles of Elijah and the, the ministry of Elijah and the blessings of Elijah or the anointing of Elijah but the one that's seeking after the God of Elijah. Sometimes we get to seeking revival when we need to be seeking God. We, need to, we seek after blessings when we need to be seeking God. We seek after answers when we need to be seeking God. We seek after a ministry when we need to be seeking God. But he did not say, where is the ministry of Elijah? Or where is the blessings of Elijah? Or where is the anointing of miracles of Elijah? He said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? If you'd seek after God, there may be some miracles. If you'd seek after God, there may be some ministry. There will be some anointing. It was in the ministry of Elisha that the poisonous waters of the beautiful city of Jericho were healed. 
They told him this city is very pleasant. But there's no life that can be produced here because of the death in the waters. It's kind of like sin. Beautiful place, but it was a cursed place. Kind of like sin. It was attractive, but yet it was death producing. It was kind of like sin. Seductive, but destructive. Pleasant, and yet poisonous. And Elisha said, I've got the message for you. I want you to bring a new cruise to me. They brought him a new cruise. And Elisha took and poured salt into the cruise. And he poured it out over the waters. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters forever. And it's in the church. It's because of apostolic ministry that people who have been chasing after the pleasantries and the thrill and the pleasure of sin find out that they do nothing but produce death. And it's at the church they find out the message they need to hear. Elisha said, bring me a new cruise. That's the condition of the vessel that you bring. It's what you do. You bring the vessel here. Elisha put the change agent into the vessel. That's what the man of God can do. And when you get what you can do with what the man of God can do together, then God does what he can do. And so if you've got sin in your life and you're at a personal Jericho, there's still a message that your pastor is preaching. And that's what you can do. Bring the vessel. Bring a repented vessel. Repent of your sins. And then the preacher will do what he can do. And he'll baptize you in the life-changing name of Jesus Christ. And when you get what you can do with what the preacher can do, then God does what he does. He'll heal you. He'll fill you with the Holy Ghost and the child abuse you suffered and the addiction that you used to have he will heal you of that because of the great message that your pastor preaches it was in the ministry of Elisha there were some little children they came out to mock the prophet they came out in a place called Bethel a place called the house of God isn't it amazing the children of the house of God the Bible calls them little children making fun of the prophet Go up, thou bald head. Meaning, get in a whirlwind like Elisha does. Oh, they had heard somebody talking about it. They had heard mom and dad back there at the house talk about, yeah, oh, Elijah, I don't know who he thinks he is. He's trying to be like Elisha. Says he's got the same anointing that Elijah's got, Elisha, Elijah had. Woo. <laughs> And you know what? There was some judgment came on those children. And not just on the children, but there were some grieving parents that reaped the results of what they'd been talking about. There were some mamas and daddies put that in those children. They didn't just come up with that. They had heard mom and daddy making little slanders and making little snide remarks. And when Elisha came by mom and dad, they said, Praise the Lord, Pastor. We love you. Appreciate you. We're so thankful for that message you preached. Oh, Elisha, we're so looking forward to what God's going to do through you. But the little children came out and told the real story. Ooh, hallelujah. Judgment. 
The house of God is sometimes a place of judgment. It was in the ministry of Elisha there were some sons of the prophets in Gilgal that gathered up a wild vine and they put it in the mix that they were going to partake of. And it was in this teaching setting that this man of God said, don't worry about the death that's in the mix. I'll put some meal in it. I'll insert the right ingredient and it'll heal whatever kind of death is working in the mix and cure the dangers. Don't ever discount midweek Bible study. Oh, 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 oh. We come with a lot of stuff in our background. In the mix of our lives, there's ideas and opinions and things we carry from our raising and philosophies and things we picked up in, edu- in, 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 in us being educated and, and uh, our environment and friends that we've had and concepts. And mm, I'm going to tell you, if you're not careful, it's working death. It's working death in your marriage. It's working death to your children. It's working death in your walk with God. It's working death in your prayer life. It's working death in your obedience to apostolic doctrine and apostolic standards. Oh, but if you can just sit down and let the man of God open up the Word of God and say, feed me, Lord. He's going to insert the right ingredient. It'll cure that death that you carried from your childhood. It'll cure that death that is in the mix of your personality and your background and what makes you the way you are. Open up your heart and let the man of God begin to insert Bible truths and begin to insert principles and doctrine from the Word of God. Amen. It was in the ministry of Elisha that a woman who was trying to keep her sons out of captivity, she went to the prophet, she went to the man of God and began to tell him of her dilemma. And he simply asked her, What hast thou in the house? Oh, thank God that it's in the church. We can go to the house of God and the preacher can begin to preach and tell us that God can work a miracle out of whatever you've got in the house. You don't have to be well-educated. God can use what you've got. You don't have to be a great speaker, preacher. Oh, God can use what you've got. You don't have to be a worship leader or a musician. God can work a miracle out of what you've got in your house. Amen. Thank God that God can use it. It was in the ministry of Elisha that the Shunammite woman, she had her long-awaited dream of a child realized, and then she had her dream resurrected. I thank God, amen, that sometimes when we come to the house of the Lord, yes, there are times of judgment. Yes, there are times of correction. Yes, there are times we've got to get lined back up. Amen. Our thinking, our attitudes have got to be lined back up with the Word of God. But I thank God sometimes we come and we hear, yes, amen, God can fulfill your dreams. God does want to bless you. And then when our dream dies, God lets us know. Pastor lets us know. Preaching lets us know. God can resurrect your dreams. God can resurrect your dreams that have died. It was in the ministry of Elisha, 20 loaves were multiplied to feed 100 men. And it's still in the church today that you will find the bread of life is still multiplied 
and is broken to feed the hunger of saints. Hallelujah. It was in the ministry of Elisha that Naaman came all the way from Syria to be cured of his leprosy. And it doesn't matter today how far away they are or how bad the disease may be. The modern day leper ought to still be making his way to the church. Amen. To hear your pastor preach. To hear your man of God. Amen. Tell him the truth and tell them the way of salvation. It was in the ministry of Elisha that the sons of the prophets, they lost their borrowed axe head and their, their, their building uh, to expand their facility. All their ability to progress, it ceased. They said, let's go call for the preacher. And what the preacher did was he took a tree and cut it down. And when the tree came in contact with where they had lost their strength, the iron did swim and they could get back to work. I come to tell you, friends, if you've lost your strength, and you can't make any progress anymore and you want to do something for God and you want to move forward and you want to grow and you want to develop in God but it seems like you've lost your strength let your pastor get up and present that tree to you one more time let him tell you one more time about Calvary it's not just to save you when you're lost it's to give you strength when you're weak it's not just to get you to the altar to cause you to repent it's to give you strength when you you don't have the wood. And the servant came out and began to panic. And Elijah stood there and he said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And he prayed for the servant that the Lord would open his eyes. And he looked and there was a host of angels. And he knew that God was on their side. And as the Syrian soldiers came closer, Elijah just prayed, Lord, smite them with blindness. Same place, same prophet, same location. Some folks getting their eyes opened and some folks getting blinded. Amen. Some folks get a revelation and some folks can't see it. And that's the way it is in the church. Same pastor, same church, same message, same revival, same move of God, same place. 
peace. Some folks get a revelation, amen, and some folks get mad and leave. Some folks line up and are thankful, and some folks get rebellious. Some, some folks worship, and some folks sit and cross their arms. Some folks get closer, and some get further away. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It was in the ministry of Elisha that Samaria was under siege, and it seemed to be that King Jehoram was blaming the prophet for everything that was going wrong. It's amazing. Just about everything goes wrong. Folks want to point the finger at the preacher. Folks, oh, Lord, I'm a, I'm a pastor, all right? Sometimes folks will ask a pastor's advice and then go do exactly opposite of what you advised them to do. And then want you to get them out of the mess they got themselves into and then blame you because you can't get them out of the mess in 24 hours that it took them a couple of years to get themselves into. Oh, praise the Lord. And he's blaming Elisha for all of his troubles and he's so convinced that Elisha's the cause, he sends somebody to kill him. They go down there to kill Elisha, and the king is kind of a coward, you know. He waits for a while, and then he's going to go up there and make sure that they finish the job. Well, he gets there, and Elisha is still alive, and they're having a conversation. The king comes up there, and Elisha, I mean, the, the city is not only hungry and in a, in a destitute condition, and, and Samaria is under siege, not only is it a terrible situation for Samaria, but the king, his king, is wanting to kill him. And it's in that situation that Elisha stood there and said, Tomorrow, about this time. He wasn't preaching to an apostolic congregation. He wasn't preaching at a conference. He was standing there with folks that wanted to kill him. And he stood there and said, Tomorrow, about this time, a measure of flour shall be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel. I'm telling you, when it looked like it couldn't go any more wrong, when it looked like there couldn't be any more folks more against him, Elisha stood there and said, Hey, folks, you're 24 hours away from a miracle. If you can live through one more night, God's going to see that he makes a way for this place. And sometimes when all hell has broken loose and there's problems on every hand and there's folks criticizing and folks negative and folks fighting against the church and folks can't find anything to be thankful for and the pastor gets up and says hey I feel we're on the verge of revival I feel like God's fixing to do something great you say evidently he don't know what's going on yes he does but it's in that time God likes to show I am for my church I am behind the pastor I am going to work I am going to move Amen. And the last thing you hear about Elisha is some soldiers were running from the enemy one day and looking for a good place to bury one of their comrades. And they found an open grave and decided, this is convenient. And they threw the old boy right in there on some old bones. But what they didn't know is those were the bones of the prophet Elisha. 
Woo, hallelujah. If Elisha is a type of the church, the last thing you hear about Elisha is the resurrection in the graveyard. Can I tell you, if you'll stick with your pastor through the Jericho and through the Gilgal and cross the Jordan and in the siege of Samaria and at Shunem and all of the other places where there were trials and there were problems and there were miracles and there were setbacks and there were blessings. If you can stay with your pastor, one day there's going to be a resurrection in the graveyard for this church. The last thing there's going to be heard about the church is when the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ are going to be raised. Hallelujah. Elisha was on his deathbed. Joash went to see the prophet, and he gets in there, gets to cry, and he says, Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. What he knew is, Elisha, you're our defense. Elisha, if you go, we're defenseless. If we lose you, the battle is lost. And rightfully so. Hallelujah. If, if, if we lose what you are, then we lose our protection. He knew what kind of role the man of God had played. And can I tell you, holiness preachers produce holiness churches. You better be thankful for the man of God that stands in the pulpit and preaches. Oh, I hope I hadn't lost you yet. Worshiping preachers have worshiping churches. Worldly preachers have worldly churches. Unconcerned preachers have unconcerned churches. Truth-loving preachers have truth-loving churches. He said, oh, you're our leader. You're the one who leads us in the battle. You're our chariot. You're our horsemen. If we can't see you charging the way into battle, what are we going to do? If we can't see your horse at the forefront leading the way, what are we going to do? And Elisha said, I might be the chariot, and I may be the horseman, but you get some bow and arrows in your hands. Don't you just rely on the chariot, and don't you just rely on the horsemen. You better get some weapons of war in your hands because all of us are in the battle. All of us are in the fight. All of us have got to be involved. You've got to get involved in the battle too. Don't just put the responsibility on the man in the chariot. Don't just put the responsibility on the man that's got the horse. You get some responsibility too. Amen. Amen. Don't say, you know, there's not much worship in our church anymore. I wish my pastor would do something about it. You do something about it. There's not been many visitors lately. I wish my pastor would do something about it. Nobody comes early to prayer anymore. I wish my pastor would do something about it. My children aren't dressing like they need to. I wish my pastor would do something about it. Hey, you get a bow and arrow in your hands and say, we're going to war. We're going to fight. I'm not going to leave the battle just up to my pastor. I'm not going leave it all up to the pulpit. I'm going to get behind him 100%. And if my children aren't right, I'm going to be the first to correct them. 
My kids don't understand the doctrine. I wish my pastor would do something about it. Why don't you sit them down one evening and say, Hey, kids, let's read Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Let's read Ephesians 4 and 5. Let's read Acts 2.38. Let's read, amen, let's read the Word of God. Oh, nobody's been baptized in a while. I wish my preacher would do something about it. People don't visit the sick and the shut in. I wish my preacher would do something about it. You, he may be doing everything possibly within his power to do something about it. But why don't you pick up some weapons and say, I'm ready to fight against the enemy. I'm ready to fight against discouragement. I'm ready to fight against division. I'm ready to fight against criticism. I'm ready to fight against worldliness. I'm ready to fight against this apathy and this lackadaisical spirit that's invaded our church. Oh, this church ain't very friendly. I wish my pastor would preach about it. If the fires of revival are not burning, I wish my pastor would do something about it. There's no burden for the lost here. I wish my pastor would do something about it. Hey, you get a burden for the lost. You get there early to pray. You get out there, amen, and win somebody to God. Oh, uh, I hope this is all right. I hope this is all right. Folks, you know, oh, I'm worried about our church. Folks, don't help the preacher preach. Hey, man, I, he needs to talk. He needs to preach on helping the preacher. Well, why don't you show the new converts how to help the preacher preach? Why don't you show the weak ones how to get behind the pastor when he's preaching? Do something about it. I'm going to tell you, if you help the evangelist, you ought to be on your feet when your pastor's preaching. If you go to the altar during revival, you ought to be the first down there to the altar when your pastor's preaching. If you get all stirred up and emotional while it's somebody else, you ought to get a burden and get stirred up when your pastor's preaching. Hallelujah. I tell you why I'm stirred up. You can be seated just for a moment. I tell you why I'm stirred up. We've got too many burdened down pastors in the year 2002. We've got too many stressed out pastors and pastor's wives today. We've got so many overworked and underappreciated uh, pastors. And I thank God for all good saints. Please, please don't think that I'm just here down on saints and criticizing saints. I just want to preach to you and help you appreciate the man of God that you have more than you do. Amen. We've got too many confused and troubled preachers today. Too many pastor's wives, heartbroken and sick. Too many on the verge of resigning and feel like they're not accomplishing anything with their lives. Too many frustrated ministers' families today. And I want to tell you that God takes your pastor's emotions very seriously. He will either present you with joy or he'll present you with grief. Oh, praise the Lord. It ought to be in your heart, not just for the other side, but when my pastor sees me coming, I want him to just automatically get a smile instead of, instead of having to force one on. I, when my pastor looks on caller ID,
and sees who it is. Oh, I got some preachers behind me now. Oh, Lord. I know it's going to be a problem. Oh, don't, don't answer that. Let me step outside the door. Tell them I'm not here. Have you ever had to call your pastor? Say, Pastor, now you need to come on to church tonight and be encouraged in the Lord. Come on, let God do something for you. Don't, don't be so discouraged. And God's going to see you through, and God hadn't forsaken you. You know why you're laughing? You've never had to do that before. But how many times has Pastor had to call some of us? Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, Lord, I want to be a joy. It ought to be your heartbeat. I want to be a joy to pastor. If you're not a joy to pastor today, how can he present you with joy? Somewhere between here and there, is he all of a sudden going to get it? Lord, it's getting quiet in here now. Woo, hallelujah. Oh, I, I, I'm telling you, you know, one of the things that can make you a joy to pastor is just be there. Be there. Some folks can find some of the wildest excuses for not being at church service or work day or visitation or whoo one man one man called us pastor said pastor I, I can't be at church today because we ran out of peanut butter he said what does running out of peanut butter have to do with it he said well I figured one excuse was as good as any Lord some of these excuses people come up with remind me of the thing I read said, why are fire trucks red? Well, fire trucks have four wheels and eight men because everybody knows four plus eight equals 12 and there are 12 inches in a foot and a foot is a ruler and Queen Elizabeth II is a ruler and that's also the largest ship on the seven seas and seas have fish and fish have fins and fins fought the Russians and Russians are red and, and fire trucks are always Russian, therefore fire trucks are always red. Just be there. Oh, help us, Lord. Amen. I've already talked about helping your pastor preach. i tell you another thing. is when your pastor preaches and there's new ones in the altar, don't sit back and just let pastor do all the praying. And he's already preached and he's weary, and he's tired, and he's poured out everything he has, and now he's got to go out and try to pour more into these that are seeking the Holy Ghost, and more of these that have spiritual needs, and there's folks sitting back there, and they just can't wait and, until the final amen. You ought to be so happy there's somebody in the altar. You ought to be so happy there's some brand new ones praying. I ought to be so happy. And man, there's some backsliders come back. You ought to be right down there with them. Don't leave it all up to the pastor. Ooh, hallelujah. 
Oh, there's pastors today, they are so overwhelmed by the attacks on their family. Oh, there's folks that say, oh, I'd never, I'd never talk about my pastor. Oh, I'd never say anything. Oh, I'd never say anything against the man of God. But you'll talk about his wife and talk about his children. Oh, I must have missed the will of God here. Right? And can feel safe and smug that, oh, I've never touched the man of God. But I'm going to tell you, that pastor's home is his castle. It's his refuge. And his family, I, I know they make mistakes. I know they're not perfect. And I know they have shortcomings. But I'm going to tell you, his family's burdens are his burdens. And you say, oh, I don't want to be a burden. I'd never be a burden to my pastor. But I'm telling you, if the pastor's wife is receiving nothing but grief, it's going to affect the man of God. Ooh, hallelujah to God. It's going to affect him when they are under a burden. And God forbid, as he's out fighting and he's fighting against the enemy and he's trying to fight the devil off of you and your family and he's out there busy fighting, doing the work of God and he has to come home and fight the same devils of discouragement and the same trouble and spirits in his place of refuge that it has to fight out there. Oh, praise the Lord. Y'all were shouting a while ago, but that's just as true, I'm going to tell you. You ought to want your pastor to be happy. If the pastor's not very happy, the church probably is not going to be very happy. But you ought to say, Lord, I want my pastor to have joy. I want my pastor to be happy. I know his family may not be perfect, and they may have shortcomings, but out of respect for the man of God, honor his family. Amen. Love his family. That's the best way you can treat your pastor. Love his family. Amen. Some pastors are stressed because they're at a loss as to what to do about the jealousy and the competition and the pettiness of church folks and folks that are can't stand one another and always arguing and got to be one up on somebody else and mad because that one got to sing and I hadn't sang in two services and aggravated because that one didn't shake my hand or said something when they shook my hand. And there's so much in our churches so much competition and so much division amen, and so much dislike and disharmony and division that sometimes a pastor walks out amen, and the weight on his shoulders seems to be unbearable people that he loves cannot get along people that he is trying to take to heaven will not speak to one another people that he is doing his best amen, to put godly principles and bible truths into them and to keep their spirit right that will not respond. Oh, hallelujah. Some are burdened down because of all the negative talk and all of the criticizing and all of the slandering about anything that goes on at all around the church. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm heading to a close here. 
Be careful what you say. I would venture to say most of us here today, we would never backslide. A lot of folks, you've been in church for a long time. You would never go to a bar or a ball game. You, you, would, you wouldn't know where to sit in a bar. You wouldn't know where to sit on the bar or the stool, what to, what to order, what kind of drink. You would never drink, never smoke. Bless God, I am in the church. We wouldn't know what to do out there in the world. We wouldn't leave the church. This is my church. I mean, we might be mad with half everybody there, but this is my church. And I know I'm aggravated about what's going on, and I don't like it, but that's my church. And might not have confidence in, in some of the people and, and criticize everybody that's there. But bless God, that's my church. And I, oh, I'd never backslide. Oh, I'd never go anywhere. But what about those children and those grandchildren that take seriously every... Oh, I know this is not camp meeting preaching, and I... Lord, have mercy. But what about those children and grandchildren that are coming on that take seriously everything you say? And you may never leave the church, but they grow up thinking, this church ain't everything that I thought it was. And as soon as I get, I'm going to go look for something else to do because I don't have confidence in so-and-so, and I don't have confidence in half of them because, because uh, 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 one of my parents or one of my grandparents has pointed out every fault and every failure and every shortcoming that anybody has ever had in the church. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. You better be careful. You better be careful. You better be careful. Amen, amen. Jeremiah 41 talks about a group of men uh, that came to worship before the Lord, and they had kind of a half Jehovah worship and a half heathen worship. They came to Mizpah to worship the Lord, and there was a man by the name of Ishmael that had, that had, uh, uh, that had uh, uh, caused a revolt, and, and, and he brought them in, and he slew them. And the Bible says that they were buried in the pit of Asa, that he... The pit that he had dug during the war between he and the king of Israel. I looked back there at Asa, and there was war between Asa and the king of Israel all the days of their lives. And this generation that came up to be worshipers, they ended up in a pit another generation had dug. It became their graveyard. You better be careful in the battles that you fight. And when your feelings get hurt and when you're offended and you don't like what's going on, that you dig a pit of refuge and to, and to smooth over your feelings, you point out so-and-so's shortcomings. You point out what you don't like about that one. Amen. You point out something else and you dig a pit of refuge to make you feel better. But your children and your grandchildren and another generation is going to come along and fall in the pit that you dug. And what was a pit of refuge for you is going to become their graveyard and cause them to be lost. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. want to be a joy to pastor. I want to be a joy to pastor. In the 3rd century B.C., Hannibal crossed the Alps into Italy, defeated, defeated three Roman armies. And after several months of defeat, the Roman Senate, they appointed two consuls, Terentius Varro and Aemilius Paulus. And they decided that they would alternate leadership every day, every other day. They would alternate leadership. Varro was a man who was arrogant, impetuous. 
Paulus was a man who was cautious and careful. And the spies of Hannibal found out this agreement. And they started spying. They started letting Hannibal know Paulus is in charge today and he would know what to do. Varro is in charge today and he would know what to do. And over the course of several days and several weeks, Hannibal absolutely decimated the Roman army. Out of somewhere around 90,000 men, there were 79,000 men that lost their lives. And in those series of battles, Hannibal lost somewhere around 6,000. You know why? Because of a divided command. Varro was on top yesterday, and now Paulus was on top. And, and it went back and forth and back and forth. And nobody knew what to do. And nobody knew whether to charge or retreat. And nobody knew what the strategy for battle was. And nobody knew what kind of warfare to wage. Because as every other day, there was a divided command. Can I tell you, you can only have one pastor. I know Aunt Susie May has been around for a long time, but if Aunt Susie May just happens to disagree with pastor, you better go with pastor. I know Cousin John has felt his call to preach, and he started preaching last year, but if Cousin John says, well, that's just the pastor's opinion, you better go with your pastor. I know somebody, hey man, they didn't, didn't agree, and they didn't like how pastor handled that, but you better go with your pastor. You'll have victory, hey man, if you'll submit to your pastor you can be blessed if you submit to your pastor you can't listen to pastor one day and ain't Susan the next you can't listen to pastor one day and cousin John the next it is spiritual suicide remain standing I'm just about through Joshua took the leadership of Israel and God began to speak to Joshua and God began to give him direction Joshua took the leadership of Israel. The Lord told him, I want you to go to two and a half tribes. There's the Reubenites and the Gadites and a half of the tribe of Manasseh. And I want you to go to them and tell them until the Lord has given their brothers rest across the river in Canaan that I want them to lead the way lead the charge and so Joshua went and told the Reubenites and the Gadites look I know you've already settled I know you've already built houses you've already planted vineyards you've already dug wells here you've already taken over this territory you've already learned how to live off you've already gotten settled so to speak but don't get too settled a whole lot of folks behind you that they still got some Canaan land to conquer and they've still got some houses to take and some places to establish and so I know you've already got your houses you've already got your children settled but God wants you to lead the way and those people got so stirred up they said Joshua you just tell us whatever you want to do we'll be behind you whatever you want us to do all that you say that will we do they got so carried away they said and if anybody don't like it you just tell us we'll kill them you talk about loyalty you know saints of God people of God after you've been around a little while, sometimes you can think, hey, 
You know, I, I've been through a few battles. I've won a few victories. I can just kind of rest and let, let the new converts have it. Let the young folks take over. Let them get involved, and I'll just kind of stand to the side. But I tell you who Joshua really wanted was those that had already got settled in and knew what it was to build houses and knew what it was to already have their place established. And he said, come on, lead the rest of us. We don't have houses. We don't know what it is to settle down with our children. There's still a lot left for us to learn, but come on and lead the way to Canaan. I'm telling you, saints of God, you say, well, I've been around for a while. That's all the more reason why you ought to get up. Amen. And your testimony ought to be more fiery. Your worship ought to be more exuberant. Your commitment, your loyalty to your pastor, it ought to be more so today than it's ever been. You say, well, I'm going to let the rest of them have it. Oh, no, don't stand on the sidelines. Don't be a spectator. Get involved. Show us how to have revival. Get, get, get behind your pastor. Amen. And show the rest of us what it means to be committed and what it means to be loyal. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I wonder if there's anybody that it's your desire and it's your heartbeat today. God, I want to be a joy to pastor. I don't want to be a grief to pastor. I want to be a joy. When my pastor thinks about me, I don't want him to always think about the problems I bring to him or I'm always going to bring something negative. But Lord, let me be a blessing to my man of God. Hallelujah. Thank God for all of the preachers. Thank God for all of the men of God. Thank God for missionaries and the evangelists. I thank God for all of the men who have blessed us. But there's nobody that's going to have more to do with you being saved than your pastor. God, help us today. Can we lift our hands and let that be our prayer? Pray that God would strengthen your pastor. Pray that God would lift up your pastor. Pray that God would use your pastor in a greater way, in a greater way than you've ever seen him be used. Pray that God would help you be supportive and be loyal and be submissive and be the saint of God that you need to be. God bless you today.